Bibles tonight to Revelation chapter number 13. Revelation chapter number 13. We're not going to do a lot of reviewing tonight. But let me remind you that as I said in the beginning of our study that I believe there are four separate pictures of the tribulation period and we're presently engaged in the third picture recorded here in Revelation. And uh, this particular one goes through chapter 14, so we have another chapter to go after this. But tonight, here in chapter number 13, our attention is called to something very important. In this chapter, we are given a more complete picture of the Antichrist, his person and his plan than anything that has gone before. So this is valuable information concerning what you could consider to be a very unpleasant subject, and that is the Antichrist. We're also introduced in this chapter to a second beast that is pictured as coming up out of the earth. We'll get to that when we get down to verse 11, but first of all, the first beast mentioned in this chapter comes up out of the sea, and that's verses 1 through 10. So, notice in the first two verses we see his description. He says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him power, and his seat, and great Authority. Now notice in this description there are several things, in fact, about eight things in these two verses that we need to mention. First of all, he's described here as a beast. Nearly all of the Bible scholars agree that this beast represents what is commonly called the revived Roman Empire, the coming together of those ten European nations that form a federation. And this is mentioned, by the way, back in Daniel chapter number 7. And we're not going to go back there and read all of the verses for time's sake, but we see a similar picture given there. But Daniel saw four beasts coming up out of the sea, and those four heads... Of the, those four beasts represent four Gentile world powers that have ruled the world. And uh, as you probably know, we live in what the Lord calls the times of the Gentiles. And that is Gentile dominion over the nations of the earth. And Daniel saw all of that. God revealed that to him. Now, Although this beast here represents a government that is to come, generally speaking, he's representative of that government. But when you look at verse number 18, I think it becomes clear that this beast also represents the person 
of the Antichrist. Because in verse number 18 says, Here is wisdom. Let him that understand, that have understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. Six, six, six. So, uh, here we see that it speaks about a government, uh, but also of a man. And you know, really, that shouldn't surprise us. Uh, the very mention of Hitler, for example, reminds everybody that that was Nazi Germany, right? I mean, we all know that. So when you speak of one, you're speaking of the other. And I think that's somewhat the case here, that it's speaking not only about the man, but it's speaking about the government over which ultimately he's going to rule. And notice it says this beast comes up out of the sea. Now, were there no other verses to be found in the Bible, we could not discern any significance of this statement here, uh, any significance of the word see. Uh, we would just be left to wonder. But when we compare Scripture with Scripture and we look in chapter 17 and verse number 15, we see there that, it, that the sea represents masses of people, especially the Gentile nations. And so as we compare Scripture with Scripture and this beast is coming up out of the sea, uh, I think we can safely assume that he is coming up out of the Gentile nations rather than from the Jews. So he comes up from one of these Gentile nations, and he says he has seven heads. And again, this can be descriptive of a couple of things. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, preacher, just tell us flat out exactly what everything means without saying this could represent this or it could represent that. Well, I'm not that smart. And, and by the way, I've never met anybody that's that smart. I've never read anyone, and I've, I've probably read every major commentary that's ever been written on the book of Revelation. And, and, I, and there are a lot of folks that think they've got it all figured out, but I'm telling you, there sometimes we just have to say it could represent this or it could represent that. So, we know, based on what the Bible teaches, that that revived Roman Empire is going to consist of ten different nations. But we also know that some of those nations are going to, uh, in, in the process of this, some of those nations are going to be defeated or, or done away with or whatever happens to them. And there will be seven primary nations. And so when it talks about seven heads, this could refer to these seven leaders of the primary nations in the revived Roman Empire. But also, whenever you compare Scripture with Scripture and go back to Daniel chapter number 8 and some other verses and what have you, you could say, since the number seven is the number of perfection in the Bible, that this might speak about the wisdom of the Antichrist. And that's what Daniel alludes to. He is no ordinary man. He has wisdom uh, in, 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 in the sense of being able to, you know, do things and to manipulate people and nations and what have you. Uh, so as to win them over. And so uh, it could refer to that very thing. You see, just because you've got wisdom doesn't mean that you always do the right thing. Now, I know scripturally speaking, we talk about someone being wise, and from the standpoint of being wise in the things of the Lord, that's one thing, but there's such a thing as being worldly wise. And so this 
this beast coming up out of the sea, the Antichrist and or the nations that he governs, uh, it can refer to those seven heads of state or it can refer to him. But notice it speaks about ten horns. This is speaking about confederated power because in the Bible, horns are always associated in some way or another with power. And you, you, you know, you think about a ram's horn, you think about uh, how those horns are used. Well, when it speaks about government, sometimes it pictures government by the terminology of a horn. And so you have ten horns, there's ten confederated nations uh, empowering this group. And then it says, notice, and ten crowns. Now when you think about a crown, you don't think so much about power in the sense of just brute strength, but you think about what? Authority. You think about the king's crown representing the authority that the king has, and and this would speak as to the authority that the Antichrist is going to receive. But notice it says upon his heads the name of blasphemy. The word blasphemy always has reference to the name of the Lord midway through the tribulation. Now remember I said earlier in one of the other messages at the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to enter into an agreement with the Jews and supposedly with his great wisdom, he will have the solution to all of the problems in the Middle East. And he'll enter into some kind of a peace accord and so forth. He'll, you know, gain the, uh, the confidence of, uh, of, you know, of all of the, all of the people in that part of the world certainly. And just the fellow we've been looking for all of these years. You know, we keep having presidents that will sign this agreement and that agreement and none of them ever work, do they? I mean, it's just a matter of time until they're butchering one another again. And it's like someone said to me one time that and it didn't make sense then, but now I understand back when Saddam was alive and what have you, the only way, the only way to really solve the problem over there is to just, just bomb everybody, just kill everybody. And, and that's, look, that's basically the only way you're ever going to stop the fighting over there. And, uh, I, I was just looking today how, how sad it was that, uh, some Palestinians literally showed them. I, I started to send this message out, you know, on Facebook and I thought, you know, I don't even want to publish something like that. It showed them literally eating the organs out of two Israeli soldiers, just uh, bloodthirsty. And, and it just, you know, boggles the mind to think people can be that way. So the world is ripe for somebody to step on the stage who has the authority and supposedly the wisdom and say, I can solve that problem. So he enters into this peace accord, but midway through the tribulation, he breaks the covenant that he makes. And remember, we talked about he sets himself up in the temple as though he is God. This word blasphemy speaks about that very thing, that he blasphemes the God of heaven. You might want to jot down Second Thessalonians chapter two verses one through four, uh, because it speaks about this this very thing. But notice then it says we're still talking about the description of the beast out of the sea that he is like unto a leopard, 
has the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. Now, in Daniel's vision, he saw these Gentile powers characterized by these same animals. Isn't it amazing? You know, somebody says, well, you know, the Old Testament, not any real benefit to us today. Don't kid yourself. The Old Testament's extremely important, and here we find it tying exactly together with what John is writing from out there on that lonely little isle of Patmos, and he's recording what God is showing him, and he uses the same three animals to identify these Gentile powers. But when, when, whenever Daniel speaks of these, it's in the reverse order. Now, the reason was, remember, Daniel is looking forward and John is looking backward. So he he gives this list of these different animals representing the, the, the different world Gentile powers. He's giving them to us in the reverse order. And we don't have time to go back to Daniel and look and see what each one represented or anything. That's not the purpose of our study uh, here tonight. And by the way, you know, you would think a study like that from the book of Daniel where we go into detail and talk about the identity of these various nations, you would think, boy, you know, that will get everybody's attention. Everybody would want to be there for a study like that. <laughs> I got, you know, I, I, well, I got the surprise of my life, you know, the last time we went through Daniel and, and all of a sudden I realized, you know who's here? The same people that would be here, regardless of what subject I taught on. And you would think, whenever we're studying the book of Revelation, you'd think, okay, everybody want to be here for that. Look around. This is an average Sunday night crowd. You know who's here? The same people that would be here if, if I happened to be teaching from the 23rd Psalm. The same people. And it's such a shame that, that people do not have more interest in these things, because they are important. They're not just telling us what has happened. They are telling us what is going to happen. Now, now look at the eighth, the eighth thing about his identification. It says the dragon, well, we don't need to wonder who that is, do we? The dragon, that's speaking about Satan, gave him power, and notice, and his seat, and, and authority. So who's behind all of this? Well, Satan is. So that's his description. Now, look in verse number 3, and here we see his death. It says, And I saw one of the heads as it was wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all of the world wondered after the beast. One of the heads, notice, wounded unto death. Now, some people claim that this refers to the political death of the old Roman Empire, but again, I think it's more likely that it refers to the death of a man, and that man is the Antichrist, and we'll see more about that whenever we get down here in just a little bit and look at some other verses here. But remember, the Antichrist is not only going to be the leader of the federated nations, he's evidently going to be the head of one of the nations in particular. In other words, the president, let's say. And I'm not saying our president is the Antichrist. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that the Antichrist evidently will be the main leader of one of these nations in particular. 
And it speaks here of his death and all of the world wondering about it. And, and you, you can't really doubt this because this word wounded here is the same Greek word, exactly the same Greek word that's translated slain in Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 6 where it's referring to the death of Christ. It's the same word. And so this he's not just wounded in the sense of somebody hurt him. He has been assassinated or something. He He's dead. But we're going to see in just a little bit here the miraculous recovery and how as a result of that the whole world is going to wonder after him. Now, notice his defiance in verse 4, 5, and 6. And they worship the dragon. That's devil worship, folks. They worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. What's that? Three and a half years, right? Speaking about this last half of the tribulation when everything is so bad. And so here we see after he wins the admiration of the multitudes who are worshiping him, he begins to blaspheme the God of heaven. Notice his dominion in verse number 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Remember, in chapter number 7 of Revelation, we see that as a result of the 144,000 converted Jews, that many people are going to be saved. And notice the terminology there. People out of all nations and kindreds and tribes and tongues and so forth. And now we see here the persecution as he makes war with the saints. And uh, he was given power over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So here we see his defiance and his dominion. And, and notice some things, and we won't dwell on these, but when you look in verse number 5, it's obvious here that he has military power. When you look at verse 7, it's obvious that he has political power. When you look at verse number 8, he has religious power, and then when we get to verses 16 and 17, he has economic power. We'll get to that in a little bit. But look at verse number 8. Here's the religious power. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So uh, here he has this religious power. In other words, he doesn't, you know, not just a political figure, but some way or another, he wins the religions of the world over to him. Look in verse number 8 here. His disciples are mentioned here because it talks about the whole world, all of those except those who are saved, of course. All of the world is following this man, worshiping this man. And so, that, look, folks, that's what lies ahead. That's what the world is coming to. Now, verse 9 and 10, John speaks about his destruction. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Uh, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. 
That's why we oftentimes say, you know, that we have good reason to be encouraged because we've read the last chapter of the book. And when you've read the last chapter of the book and you know how it's going to turn out ultimately, you know how it's going to end, you know that we are on the winning side, the devil is going to be destroyed, Christ is going to reign. I mean, that ought to encourage anyone. So here we're just given a glimpse of the fact that ultimately he's going to be destroyed. And John goes into a great amount of detail with that later on. But now, verse 11, all of a sudden, there is a second beast introduced to us. And uh, notice the picture of this beast coming up out of the earth, by the way. Verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spake as a dragon. So he comes up out of the earth. Uh, most most Bible scholars, most commentaries, most preachers believe that the earth speaks about the very word itself speaks about uh, the, the 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 land of Palestine. You know, the word Mediterranean means you know the center of the earth. That's the meaning of the word, uh, as I understand it. And the word earth itself. Most people take it to be the land of Palestine. Now, if that's true, then we're talking about somebody that's coming, as it were, not from the Gentiles, but someone that is either a Jew or someone that comes from there. He comes up out of the earth. He has two horns. Remember, two in the Bible is the number of witness. That's why the Bible says, you know, that the law required before you can bring charges against anyone, you have to establish that in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So two is the number of witness. And notice he says he comes like, has two horns, but he's like a lamb. The lamb has always been associated with religion, with meekness, with innocence. And so this beast, this leader, is going to be somebody that's associated with religion. And notice, but although he is a religious leader, evidently, witnessing on behalf of the Antichrist, it says that he will speak as a dragon. So contrary to his appearance, he's actually Satan's mouthpiece. In other words, he is a prophet for Satan. And it's through his instrumentality that he is able to win over a great many people to follow the Antichrist. Now, notice verse 12. We see not only the picture of this beast, but here we see the plan in verse number 12. And he exerciseth all of the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, we just spoke about the fact that he, this, the Antichrist was evidently assassinated. Doesn't say he was hurt, but that he was killed. But notice here it says his deadly wound was healed. And naturally, naturally this religious leader is going to play off of that to win the confidence of people. Now, here's, here's a very interesting thing, and that is that great power is given unto this man. You know, you can't put God in a box and dictate what God does. 
God functions in ways that are beyond our understanding. And that's why I, so many times I say that God either causes or allows everything. God allowed Adam to sin. Now, I know you're probably wondering, well, why would he do that? Well, uh, there you know, a number of reasons probably, but it doesn't really make any difference why. The fact of the matter is that God created man that way. God allowed it to happen. I mean, things happen in the world. God's not trying to fix this world right now. God's trying to bring in the permanent solution that will ultimately come. But His work right now is not to reform this world and to make it some kind of utopia here on earth. That's not God's purpose at all. He is taking out a people for His name's sake, according to the book of Acts. That's what God's presently doing. And notice, in in this grand plan in the eternal purpose of God that Paul speaks about in Ephesians, in his eternal purpose, God allows this false prophet, this religious leader, to have great power. Look at verse 13, 14, and 15. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the, uh, had, had the wound by the sword and did live, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast." that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Notice, he is a miracle worker. Here's a man that can call fire down from heaven. Here is a man that is able to supposedly raise the dead and heal the sick and what have you, and he constructs an image to the beast and causes this thing to actually come to life. And those that refuse, what? They're going to be executed. You know, the world is just looking for some kind of a miracle worker. And the thing of it is, religious con men know that, and they play off of that. That's why there have been so many like Benny Hinn and Oral Roberts, and the list goes on and on and on. These people that are supposedly miracle workers, you know, and they... They can convince so many poor little old ladies on fixed incomes to give every penny they got to support their ministries because they're supposedly doing miracles. Now look, that's all fake, that's all phony, but let me tell you, there's nothing fake and phony about this guy. This guy is given power. Can you imagine the attention that he would get? I mean, just picture this. That he's going to be speaking, you know, at a certain church next week. And as a part of his message, he's going to call fire to come down from heaven. And he's going to raise the dead. He's going to perform all of these miracles. Well, there'll be people falling at his feet. They'll follow this man anywhere. They'll do whatever he says. And what does he do? He'll point them to the Antichrist and say, there's your God. There's the one you ought to follow. And so he is a false prophet that is pointing people toward the Antichrist. Now, notice the persecution, because those that do not bow down, it tells us very clearly that they're going to be persecuted. 
and in, in, in verses 16, 17, and 18, he speaks about this persecution, and he says, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. You know, that is so interesting because we think, I don't want to get sidetracked here with these thoughts, you know, we think, okay, we've got a, we've got a lot of our problems solved and free and bond. What, what, what do you mean? We, we don't have people in slavery anymore. Don't you kid yourself. Don't you kid yourself. There are people that are literally enslaved on this earth. More than, than we can even imagine. And whether they're free or bond, he said, notice he calls, he causes them to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. And his number is six, six, six. You know, whenever we think about this and we talk about, uh, you know, the cost of discipleship, the Lord said, unless a man forsake all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. If we're going to follow the Lord, we're going to pay a price. And I'm afraid that sometimes we think that we're more dedicated than what we really are. I mean, can you imagine how many people would be excited about coming to church next Sunday if this Sunday we had three or four of our members put to death. In other words, because, you know, people out there, they were watching you and they ambushed you. And, I mean, would we be willing to pay the price or take the risk in doing what God commands us to do? Would we, would we be willing to do that? You put yourself in their shoes. This all goes back to Revelation chapter number 6. And we talked about it there in the four horsemen. And we talked about that the food was going to be rationed. Remember, Jesus said this period is going to be worse than any period in all of the history of the world. And whenever you look back, there have been times in history where mothers have literally eaten the flesh of their own children to survive. They've done that. And the Lord says it's going to be worse than that. Can you imagine the conviction and the determination, uh, uh, the dedication that it will take for these dear saints of God in the tribulation period whenever they're hungry or their family is hungry and they can't get any food because they don't have the mark of the beast? And for them to refuse the mark of the beast and to be executed, I'll tell you what, that will separate, you know, the men from the boys in a hurry then. But that's what's going to happen. The food is going to be rationed, and unless you have the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy or sell anything. I, sometimes some of us have talked about, you know, the days coming where, where bullets will be more valuable than gold. That might very well be, folks. Uh, bartering might become the only means of getting what you need. But by the way, in that day, you cannot legally buy or sell anything. And, and the longer we live, the more and more we're seeing government control over everything. And you know what? For years now, people have been looking for some way that we can, that we can 
transact business without checks, without cash. Because, you know, we, nowadays you get your credit card number and what happens? Well, you're in trouble, right? Checks, they can be forged. Cash, they can take it away from you. So, so how do you solve all of these problems? And we all know it's getting worse and worse. I mean, look, there are people out there that will kill you over a pair of Converse All-Star shoes. I mean, kill you in a heartbeat for that. There are other people that will kill you, you know, to, to get the, for the rims that's on your automobile and stuff like that. People don't value life anymore. So how in the world can we solve all that? Well, people have been hard at work at it for years. They've talked about the microchip and planting that, you know, in the hand. They've talked about tattoos and what have you. Now, look, here's the thing. I've been saying this for 30 or 40 years now, at least. The scary thing about all of this, at least to my way of thinking, is that it just really makes sense. It really makes sense. How are we going to solve all of these problems? How how can we keep people from, you know, using our ATM card? How can we keep people from, you know, uh, forging one of our checks? Well, I mean, if you've got an implant somewhere in your body, in your hand, uh, or some kind of number that they can scan or whatever else, that pretty well solves the problem, right? That's what it's coming to. I mean, people are working on that. In fact, there are some people using that right now, some businesses using that system at this very moment in order, you know, a trial run to see how it works. And, I, and it's going to work, and it's going to happen. And that's what's coming. That's why it's so scary when we think about, Bev and I often think about our our grandkids and our great-grandkids, and we often think about them, you know, whenever we're dead and gone, what's the world going to be like for them? And especially when you know this is the kind of stuff that's coming down the pike, and it's a scary deal, and the best thing and the only thing that we can do to help them is introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ and live a godly life in front of them and teach them in the things of the Lord and prepare them for what's coming down the road. I look at all of those teens back there. Well, a couple of them's not teens, uh, but uh, several teens sitting back back there tonight. And how, you know, sweet and how much, you know, we love them and appreciate them. And, boy, I'm telling you, it's a scary thought to think what might be just a few short years down the road. But you young people need to realize that. You, you need to understand what's going to happen on this earth. Now, look, I'm not saying it's going to happen next year or the year after that. I don't know, and God doesn't tell us that. But it could happen in your lifetime. Because the Bible tells us Christ is going to come in an hour whenever you expect not. And whenever we think not, as a thief in the night, He's going to come and the saints of God are going to be taken out of this world. And when that happens, that initiates that seven-year tribulation period. And this is what happens in the last half of it as food is rationed. And if you don't have the mark of the beast indicating your allegiance to the Antichrist, you can't buy and you can't sell. Next week, Lord willing, or whenever we get to it, we'll be in chapter 14. And John says, listen to this, and I looked. 
And lo, a lamb stood on the mount. <laughs> and with him was 144,000. Uh, so, next week when we wrap this section of our study up, uh, we get a broader spectrum of, of what's going to happen. And so stay tuned, as you know, they used to say on all of the old serial radio programs. Stay tuned, tune in next week, and we'll, we'll check and see. And uh, as bad as it is, believe me, the best is yet to come if you're a child of God. Let's all stand together. Anyone have a